Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is William Lin, principal and founding investor at Trident Cybersecurity. And uh, I understand you might be a race car driver. What is this race car driving about? And kind of <laughs> what is going on? I love I love that introduction, Ryan. Appreciate it. Uh, so I'm a sponsor race car driver, meaning I um, I have you know three to four sponsors that um, that help me with my addiction to speed and adrenaline. Okay. Um, but you're reality, actually driving? Actually driving. You're on yeah, the track. Uh, amateur, uh, so some sort of amateur races? It, they're all amateur. They're all amateur. They're timed. Um, and it's my own car as well. So it's not it's not like an F1 car or something special. And in fact, I actually only, I drive in a stock car. So meaning cars you can drive legally on the road without having to do anything special to it. Um, no, you and, can't say that without saying what kind of car it is. And... <laughs> Nord out a little bit on cars. (laughs) I'm very contrarian. So when you go to a racetrack, you see most everyone either has a Miata, most popular, and then they want a premium version of Miata, they get a Lotus. Um, For me, I want the exact opposite. So I want something that was gigantic. I wanted something that was powerful. Uh, So I end up, I'm driving a Camaro. Uh, But the the special part of that Camaro is it's a a special package called 1LE. Not very many people know about it. And, um, you know, if you do get that package, you're forced to drive a manual transmission. You're, um, they give you gigantic wheels and tires. They change up all the suspension pieces, but then they leave power completely the same. Because, um, you know, when you race cars, it's not all about the power. It's all about handling um, and the ability to maintain speed in the corners. And so that's what that's what the 1LA does is helps you maintain speed in the corners. Is there some sort of psycho- psychoanalysis uh, uh, relevant here <coughs> about uh tying these potentially dangerous hobbies to uh, <laughs> to your work and making sure you're nimble and making sure you're you know uh, you, you have the ability to navigate uh, dangers uh, is there I'm curious because a lot of security guys are into jujitsu and they see this offense defense game at play and, and I'm curious about like hobbies and that and the race car thing is really interesting I I uh, uh, spent the last 10 years at Kaspersky Lab. They sponsor Formula One. A lot of their executives are into driving and they always talk about, uh, you know, using hobbies and using lessons from these crazy hobbies, whatever it is, mountain climbing, whatever it is, uh, uh, tying it back to uh, your work and uh, some lessons you learn about uh, discipline, focus, blah, 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 into what, it, or, or for you, are you just, you know, Need for speed, thrilling. <laughs> no, it's it's actually a really great question. I I actually I learned a lot about myself as I as I went through this hobby of racing, and I think the the, the summary of it is that um, initially you start racing and you think it's easy, right? And everyone, um, but then more and more you realize there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you don't know, and so as you start getting faster and faster and faster, you usually start hitting plateaus, where you're trying to figure out that next catalyst to break that plateau. And so in my racing career, I probably had at least three plateaus so far. I'm, I'm on another one right now. Um, and the key is trying to figure out um, what it is. And so the learning curve on racing to be the best of the best is insane. And on top of that, you need to really f- to dedicate a ton of time to it. So last year, I probably went was probably racing at least two weekends a month. This year, probably doing a lot less. Uh, but you have to spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about it in order to be, to be the best of the best. And so the parallel to that is in venture and in, in security. And as you know, the learning curve in security is insane. Uh, very, very tough to to 
understand everything that's going on. And then the learning curve in investing is also insane as well. Um, and everyone hits their own plateaus, and, and it's all about figuring out how do you break that plateau and keep on going. Yeah, there's all there's all. What I find in 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 life is that everything you do in life, you can you can find a parallel to your work, your career, your personal growth, and and find the things, uh, uh, find the lessons from the things that you really enjoy are so applicable uh, to work life, and it, it helps with work life balance and all that stuff. Anyway, let's talk about some cybersecurity. Trident Capital Cybersecurity is a, a group within the larger uh, Trident Capital. Help me understand the, the, the setup and, and, and you specifically focus only on cybersecurity investments. Is it early stage? Are you interested in any stage? Give me a sense of what you do yeah. and where you guys are. This is a great question and, and a question we get asked <laughs> quite a bit. So um, so happy to talk about it. Um, the, the summary was that Trident Capital, we raised seven funds Um over uh, almost two decades. Um, and when we decided to raise fund eight, we, we thought it made a lot more sense to actually start specializing. Um, in the world where there, everyone had a mega fund that was multi-stage, multi, multi-sector, we said, you know, let's start specializing. So what we did instead was we raised two new funds, uh, one called Sunstone Partners, which focuses on growth equity. So institutional growth, growth equity. Um, and then we also raised another fund that was focused on venture capital. When we looked at the founding team, um, it was two partners and myself, um, we realized that a lot of us had such deep passion and security. And in the, in the case of Alberto and myself and Don, we spent almost an entirety of our careers uh, focused on security. So we said, you know, why don't we specialize even more and, uh, and, and focus on cybersecurity? And then after that, we looked at the performance and the data in terms of the results. And we noticed that there, the strength, our strength was in early stage. Um, so when the company is forming, when they were, you know, had hints of product market fit but weren't there yet, you know, we saw that our strength was helping these companies fully define that product market fit, um, and then to move on to be a bigger and better company afterwards. How many how many companies are in your portfolio in this fund? So, uh, oh, and uh, this fund we have eleven companies so far. Um, and you, you asked a great question previously. Is this a piece of larger trading capital? In, in this case, we decided to spin out. So it's a brand new firm. Um, but we decided to keep the name in Trident Capital because, uh, Trident Capital had made so many investments in cybersecurity that we thought that the brand was interesting. And then on top of that, one of the co-founders of Trident Cybersecurity is also the co-founder of Trident Capital. Right. I don't mean this to sound insulting, but um, if we can, you know, avoid like the the valley speak and some of the VC speak <laughs> and some of your jargon, because uh, I don't think my, my, my I don't want to bore the audience with too much of you know inside baseball VC speak. But when you talk about early stage and seed stage, help me briefly understand how a VC thinks about these companies. Um, is it? Uh, it, it when you use the phrase like seed, does it mean they're not necessarily a company yet? It's just an idea bubbling around in someone's head. And how do you determine, uh, you know, the difference between seed and uh, uh, initial series A, B? Uh, briefly help me understand like the maturity of the company and how VCs view uh, the, the funding stages. So I, I don't want to simplify it too much, but, you know, to, to keep it quick, I will simplify it. And I also bring up that there's a there is another stage now called pre-seed. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll just simplify it. Isn't that always like the friends stage. and family thing? Yes. Pre, pre-seed is friends and family. 
Um, and so it's worth just an guys, idea. So this is two guys in a basement with an idea, uh, bubbling wrong in his social circle, raise uh, uh, $200,000 to flesh out the idea. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And But the thing is, there are venture capital firms that are explicitly focused on that space. On so that usually space. it's friends and family, but there are professional investors in that space as well. Got it. Um, and then on the seed stage, what how I define that is pilots. You, you have several pilots. They're doing really well. Some of those pilots might actually be paid pilots. Maybe you have one or two real customers as well. Um, but that's sort of what a pilot looks like. Um, I don't want to get too specific in terms of the team size, but it's, you know, a couple, a handful, maybe right. two handfuls of people. Is there, is, then, there, is there a, is there a, a are, are you already looking there at revenue numbers yet? Or like you said, it's just, it's, or it's just a pilot stage where the technology or the product or whatever it is, is being validated. I think you're looking for hints of what the average selling price could be. Um, so what a, what an average contract could look like, because when you get a good idea of the, the enormity of the problem and the solution, you can sort of figure out, okay, how is this company going to sell this in the future? Uh, what type of customers will this most resonate well with? Um, and what, what, what is the problem that they're actually solving? And so if it's, you know, if it looks like it's going to be a couple hundred K, there's a different way, way of selling that cut, uh, product versus if it looks like it's going to be a million dollars or more. Um, and so that's what we're looking for in, in, in that stage is hints of what the eventual customer base could look like. You got it. And uh, later on, it's, it's, it's when, when the bigger money starts getting pumped into it is when you're really ramping up, uh, uh to use an analogy, throwing gasoline on the fire, getting, uh, sales and marketing in place and, and, and really ramping up once you see that the market segment in fact does exist. So that, that's actually even further later. Uh, okay. so, so we, uh, we specialize in series A and series B. And so series A typically means that they have a couple or, um, reference customers or, or maybe one very, very, very large one. Um, and I, I don't like getting too specific in terms of numbers, but just one high level number that people love throwing around the series A is around a million dollars, uh, bookings, revenue, AR, something, something of that sort. Uh, and what we're looking there is, you know, an actual customer paying actual revenue using in production. Uh, and series B means multiple instances of that situation. Uh, in the series A and series B and seed and pre-seed, in all those situations, we see the CEO being one, one of the primary salespersons or the only one. It doesn't, um, you know, when you start pumping money into the company, it's usually on the sales and marketing side, it's usually in the late B, uh, series C type stage. Got it. Uh, one of my five listeners might have an idea and might be. In, in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I guess I'm one of them. So, <laughs> uh, you know, might be you know noodling the idea of engaging with the VC community. What can in in these in these very let's even call it um, uh, pre-seed seed stages that they're in this you know three guys really interesting idea done the research. Uh, have already started coding. Uh, what are what are g give them a sense of what you're looking for um, to show value. Give me the the Shark Tank kind of uh, uh, picture. Paint me the Shark Tank picture that that they can uh, you know put the proper suit on, get in front of a VC. What what should they be focusing on when they're at that stage? Right. When they're approaching um, you, or what are you interested in, or what are you 
you know, let's say you're talking to 10 of these folks on uh, every quarter. What discounts nine and, and get you to focus on, on, on that one? What is the one, one or two things that they can really narrow in on as they, they look for some sort of VC activity? Of course. And and just I just want to make sure to set some context. So we, we don't specifically focus on pre-seed and seed. In fact, we've I think we've only done one of those deals in this fund. Uh, and that's, well, not necessarily uh, you. But not I can necessarily you. But, uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. So I can definitely uh, tell you what, what my understanding and, and um, of how these guys will think. Because um, it's not too far off from Series, series A. Um, and the, the key is the team. Um, and so that's the, that's the number one high level point. But as we, you know, dive deeper down that point, the team, on the team side, what we're looking, what they're looking for is context. So under a deep understanding of the customer's problems and then a vision. And so a clear direction of where they want to go, because as an early stage entrepreneur, it's really, really easy to get distracted. And as you talk to customers, sometimes you might get even more distracted. Because one customer might want this, another customer might want that. And sometimes you'll find entrepreneurs building something for everyone, and they have no way, no way of actually turning that into a, a real business. Um, so the key is team, uh, high level. Um, and, and I don't want to summarize it too much, but for the purposes of the podcast, um, one way of thinking about it is similar to a session you might have with a product manager. Right? The product manager's job is to have a vision, uh, to talk to customers and have deep understanding of that customer's problems. And then also to understand the, the landscape as well, the market. So who are the competitors? What are each of those competitors doing? And how can you differentiate those versus those competitors? And then driving that to uh, leadership in terms of helping the, the, the company move forward towards a specific idea and then finally launching it with customers, hopefully. How involved are you? Uh, at that stage, you've, 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 you've made a decision, uh, to, you know, help some startup founders. How involved are you with, uh, uh, uh day to day, not necessarily micromanagement, but involvement in decision making, involvement in, uh, uh, strategy? Yeah. Um, on the VC side for our behalf of our portfolio companies, we cannot be micromanagers to your point. Um, the, the best way to think about how a VC can add value is um, there's different levels, right? How, do, how deep do you go down a company? Um, and the venture capitalist's job is to, is to stay high level, right? So sort of look at the forest while the companies look at the trees. Uh, and so what our goal is, is to decipher trends, decipher, generate connections uh, for, on behalf of our company. So on the, you know, very tangible actions that we can do for our companies are, you know, introducing them to customers or the customer who is a win-win introduction, right? Versus just making <laughs> introductions left and right saying, Hey, I know this person he might want to talk to you, but actually knowing that that customer has that problem that you are solving and making that, making a very actionable introduction. Right. So and this expansion of your, just using your network to use your network, to. but there's different levels of, of using your network, right? It's whether it's actionable or not, I think it's the key criteria. Uh, got it. Um, are there, I don't know if you, you'll answer this, but is there a company or, 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 or a segment that you, meh, poo-pooed for a little bit, um, yeah, wasn't necessarily intrigued, passed on, that blew up? Is there, is there an Uber in cybersecurity that you wish you had? Holy crap, I had a chance to get in there <laughs> early and I didn't. Um, 
and, and and not necessarily in specific terms about you know a specific company but i'm curious about your thinking when uh when you're t- you're placing bets you're placing bets on ideas mm-hmm. um yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 you know it's a lot of work. Sometimes it takes a lot of time to mature. Uh, when you look back, is there a segment, a specific thing that you 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 you, you are there regrets? Uh, are there you know uh, background meetings that happen and say how did we miss that? Uh, help me help me dig through some of those segments or some of those areas where you feel like uh we may have missed and we, and we'll we'll flip the script we'll flip the script in the next question about some of the ones that you're you're pretty bullish on of course of course happy to talk about this um and you know i i also think feel free know, to be as specific firms... as possible too <laughs> let's make some news <laughs> yeah <laughs> trident uh... trident principal <laughs> announces regret at missing out on exactly <laughs> Exactly. I would love to go really deep down like <laughs> that. Um, you know, I think some of the best uh, people, uh, or most successful, uh, you know, in terms of uh, role models in life that I've, I've observed is these people who are very willing to be very self-aware, uh, be willing to always learn new things, so be openness to new ideas, even though they might have existing biases or lessons learned. Um, and then just that, that hunger to constantly learn and to push themselves and to stretch themselves. And so, um, you know, we do spend a lot of time reflecting on, uh, in companies or markets that we might not have invested in. The, the only nuance I will bring up to, to all this is that, you know, our firm is relatively new. Um, we started fundraising in 2015. We completed end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And so the, the reality is even though we were investing while we were fundraising, so <laughs> two jobs at once, which was, which is a lot of fun with our small founding team. Um, you know, 2017 was really the year where we could really focus on making investments. And so, so far in 2017, been pretty happy with what we've done. Um, you know, if I, if I wanted to talk about, some specific lessons learned. Um, you know, I, I think that the exit uh, phantom song to Splunk, I thought that was a really great lesson learned on my ha- on my end because, um, you know, Oliver uh, has been a very successful entrepreneur in the past. He's made several successful exits, and um, and that's when a, we that, that, that's a great point because I want if you can n- n- narrow in on that a little bit about uh, and and for the benefits of the audience you're talking about Oliver Friedrichs who was previously security focused had an exit with Immunet before this most recent exit uh, isn't there a, a significant value when you're having the, your your internal discussions about places to uh, uh, go investing in looking at these serial entrepreneurs and looking at these quote unquote winners who have a track record of of delivering exits um uh, how how important is that and should guys with ideas approach serial investors to get involved even in an advisory role just uh you know so they become quote-unquote attractive to a a venture capitalist um you know (laughs) that's a really great question i think you know every venture capitalist has different biases in terms of what they're looking for on the team side and then different biases in terms of what they're looking for as market and product. Um, I would say that number I'm guessing, one, I'm guessing yeah. those are, those are also very um, even more contentious negotiations when you're dealing with a even guy who's been in the trench, who's right, been in right, these right. trenches for a long time, right? 
Well, yeah, and and so the high-level summary is if you're investing in someone who has done multiple exits in the past, multiple com- successful companies in the past, the assumption is that it's less work, right? They can they can go and do things without much help. Um, and so there's some investors who folk who would prefer to make those types of investments uh, versus the other ones where they want to help bring a new entrepreneur, uh, a burgeoning entrepreneur where they see a lot of potential um, and help them grow. And so there's just, you know, every everyone, you know, even at different stages of their career, everyone has different um, biases. And, you know, on the topic of Phantom, um, I that wasn't a company that we were trying to get into. But I'm trying I was try, I've been trying to figure out, OK, let's say I was trying to get into Phantom. What what were the lessons learned, positive and negative? And what what were my biases at that point in time of why it didn't why it didn't make why we were interested and the reality is in venture and, and in most investments right there's going to be a ton of missed opportunities um, um then that and there's a big element of luck as well because everyone is only has only so much time in the day so there's only so many deals they can do in a year there's only so many deals they can do at a specific point in time and then everyone's network's a little bit different. Everyone's biases that we talked about is a little bit different. And so all you can do is try to generate as many opportunities as you can right. and then to make the best of those opportunities when they're put in front of you. Um, one phrase that one of my founders loves to say, which I've internalized fairly deeply, is the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, and so the more opportunities you put in front of you, it's, it's all a question of how do you react when you have those opportunities in, are in your face. Uh, you mentioned being, you know, ramping up in 2017. I saw a number about what uh, 200 plus cybersecurity startups received funding in 2017, uh, chasing a market that's p- potentially in the trillions of dollars in terms of global spending on on cybersecurity products. When that 200 number, 200 startups got funding in 2017, was being bandied about on Twitter. A lot of the commodians were like, holy crap, why why are we throwing money after 200 new companies just in 2017? And in my mind, that seemed like a small number. So there's this disconnect between uh, the, the old fogey saying, uh, uh, we, 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 we're heading to bubble territory. And in my mind, this, this doesn't, there, there's so many new things and new ideas and there's so many uh, 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 uh problems to solve that that seems like a small number to me where do you fit in terms of uh whether we are dangerously heading into bubble territory versus this seems like in line with what we should be seeing the one of one of the the fun things about whenever this type of data is shared is everyone has a different context in terms of scale right which is great i mean mean, that's the whole point (laughs) Like if someone said there's two billion companies funded, I don't know. Someone might say, "Oh, that's actually a pretty small number." I thought there was two trillion companies. <laughs> I mean, everyone's <laughs> these these numbers. Everyone has a different scale. Of what's what's high and what's low? Um, you know, I think the benefit is understanding what the what current state is, and then trying to do a percentage off of what the current state is. And so the current state is, you know, and we've built a database um, of of security companies. You know, at least 2,500 companies. And I say at least because we can't say for certain because there's new companies coming up every single day to your point um and then the other nuance to that number is that a lot of those uh are usually seed investments which um get very very little attention from institutional investors right and so those are friends and family investments and you don't even know who the investors are (laughs) in those cases and so where it really starts becoming more clear is when they start doing series a 
um, or sometimes seed, then that's when the investors start becoming clearer. But even the A stage, there's a, uh, there are investors who aren't specifically institutional investors investing in that stage as well. So it gets, it gets pretty complicated in terms of tracking those numbers. Uh, on my end, I do think that, um, you know, you know, I'm an economist by training. Um, I believe deeply in efficient markets. Uh, at least I did. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's not perfectly efficient. Uh, there's, there's definitely a delay towards get, but the, the goal is always towards to get to efficiency. Um, and you know, the, the reality now is there are multiple funds that are raising, uh, to be cybersecurity focused, right? We have security focused seed funds. We have security focused A funds. We have security focused late stage funds. It's, um, there are, there's a lot of focus on security. Um, and so I, I think that's a, that's a function of the market. And then th- there's another big question is, are the, all these security funds going to be, going to be successful as well? Their fundraising now doesn't mean that they're guaranteed right, right, to get right. it as well. Um, so I, I believe in the market. I, I believe that the market is doing, things but you know when we look back and take into account that delay uh that is inherent in the market um you know i think it's a buyer's market right now if you're an acquirer you just got a bunch of (laughs) tax breaks and you have a lot of cash um and there are an untold number of companies there's one company for everything that you might want to do and so you don't have to build it anymore you can just buy it and it's probably it's the roi is probably better to buy right now than to build uh, are there specific areas you're looking at? Are you, uh, or are you just across the board uh, uh, as, as you're looking at startups? Uh, and, and this it, this pops into my head because I I have uh, for years been in a camp uh, that uh, uh, user awareness training, employee training has been a complete waste of money. Um, it hasn't worked. People still click on on nonsense. People still. Uh, uh, navigate the sites they shouldn't be na- navigating to people just na- the security is the enemy of of productivity so people get around security controls and so on so you need to uh, invest in educating your employees blah 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 and for the last three months i've seen a couple of months i've seen uh, significant m a vc activity around these uh, companies in this space uh, security awareness training is there a disconnect between how we view things that are working versus uh uh, what what real needs are? Yeah, uh, and are you um, <laughs> looking in this space as well? Have you invested in this as well? We have not made investment in this space, and it's not saying that because we are negative on it. Um, you know, there are when you see success in spaces like these and and others. Um, sometimes you find that entrepreneurs get lucky. Um, and they, they had a vision without a ton of context into the problem, but they, they, they just tapped into it or they pivoted into it as they, as they started working with more customers. Uh, maybe they were the first in the space. And so the customers, they, customers only had them to work with. And so the customers sort of told them, Hey, you should do this. And the team was smart enough to pivot and move towards that. Uh, and then there's others whom have been doing education internally within a company for their entire careers. And they, they said, okay, well, I know the problem deeply now i want to and i've been doing this very well with my current company now i want to do it you know for all companies not just my own and i think those are also uh that's also a successful foundation for a company in this space as well okay so let me Um, ask you bluntly yeah what are you negative on what are you down on what are you not interested in hearing about 
in this space in the education in cyber space? security no in, in the cyber security oh space what am i general. not interested in ah what are you you mentioned you mentioned you were not necessarily <laughs> negative on it tell me what yeah, yeah. let's 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 have a, a a blunt discussion about you know things you yeah. just didn't don't find fascinating and and interestingly what have you been negative on in the past that you've 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 switched your thinking and you've come around to say you know what i was i was wrong and let me focus in this area right um i think the the, the positive negatives change um depending on timing but uh, let me talk about that right now right right now uh we see that what is there four six billion dollar companies in, in endpoint uh we're we're very <laughs> unlikely to invest in that space right now uh, it's too competitive. There's too much cash. And one way of thinking about startups is how much cash do you invest, how much cash they s- spend, and how much business can they grow based off of that. So there's a little bit of concept of efficiency. Um, and if you're competing against extremely well-funded other companies, it might not be very efficient use of cash to try to compete against them. Um, so, you know, endpoint, I think, is very, very clear. Um you know, traditional IDS, IPS type companies, uh, network security, you know, hardware based or even uh, virtualized, but you can put on a white box. Uh, probably not extremely interested in those spaces either, uh, especially with. Uh, so th- those are two high level categories. When you say you know, endpoint, just sorry, sorry to interrupt. When you say course. endpoint, are you talking about like traditional anti-malware or uh, uh, is that what you mean by endpoint? Um it's a great question. Uh, yeah, because I, 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 I'm curious about it because about it. there's a lot of data. <laughs> there's a lot of data telemetry coming out of those segments that are creating new companies altogether. Um, I, I mean, Google just announced Chronicle, which is based on and uh, uh, virus total data collected from anti-malware endpoints, uh, right. and and doing some machine learning and big data and stuff. too. God knows what they're doing because they're being very opaque on. <laughs> uh, on what that is, but uh, I'm just fascinated because I I come out from an endpoint security background, and right? I, um, of, I'm course, seeing, of course, of course. I hit I hit I hit a, a topic that you're very passionate about. So no, good. not necessarily passionate, yeah. but I, I, I'm just curious if 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 there's negativity in the endpoint space, if if um, uh, the excitement among the endpoint guys that they have uh, they they have significant value to offer moving forward, uh, you know, around. Uh, threat intel, um, uh, telemetry data, and, and trying to figure out what to do with it. Uh, uh, and something you're familiar with, uh, cyber deception, and a lot of these kinds of. Uh, right. So, so the keyword, the keyword that you just said there was the threat intel and data, and we are very passionate on malware, threat intel, and data. And so, um, we, we have announced this one, but we're the lead investor in Reversing Labs, which. Um, which is one a way to think about it is a private version of VirusTotal, but they've already built the integrations to uh, to other products. So it's not just standalone threat intel; it's threat intel that actually you can you can actionable, leverage right. actionable threat intel. Um, you know, on the topic of markets that we were against and changed, um, we were very much against deception, cyber deception. When it first, uh, you know, came onto the market around 2015, uh, we talked, <laughs> we talked with customers, we talked with our, within ourselves, and we just said high level, not interesting because you know th- these customers have so many priorities, they have so many other problems they want to solve. Deception is some, some. It seemed like a cherry on top, um, and then 
as we started kept on keeping in track with that thesis, you know, late in 2016, early 2017, we started learning, oh, wow, the, the market has actually changed. You know, the, everyone's initial impression, because everyone thought of sandboxing when they thought of deception initially, right. uh, wasn't actually the case. It was actually more focused on behavior. It was more focused on credentials. Uh, it was more focused on sort of shifting the cost to the attacker. Um, and and the, the big thing was that it was something that was very standalone. It didn't require every other thing. You didn't have to do everything else first because of the low false positives within that uh, theme. Uh, CISOs were purchasing it and they had budgeted for it and they were very excited about it near that time frame, uh, especially the leading adopters. And so, and so we saw that. Um, so we invested in a TiVo. Uh, they recently put out a press release about their growth. They grew three times from, tw- from 2016 to 2017. Um, and it wasn't a factor of law, small numbers, although <laughs> if there are any public company uh, security guys on here, it is a small number to them. But on this, on the startup side, it was, it was pretty impressive growth. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that to, to the, an earlier point that we did talk about, right? Everyone has initial biases, context, data, friends. And, uh, you know, a key to success in my mind is the ability to be open about additional data and, and the and the humbleness <laughs> of being wrong to your initial hypothesis. Yeah, it, it's interesting. In, in the deception space, I got a buddy, Gadi Evron, and uh, uh, co-founder Every, of Symmetry. Gadi knows everyone. He knows yeah. everyone. He's LinkedIn master. <laughs> he, he actually used to be a co-worker of mine in past life as a journalist. He was a great resource of mine. Uh, and and he and I had this... Him. Yeah, he and I have had this talk about cyber deception, and um, and 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 he is obviously incredibly bullish. And I was in your camp, or I might still be in your camp. That you know, it's not necessarily a new market segment or a new uh, product line. It just might be a feature of of something existing. But we'll let the market decide that. Um, exactly. Any other areas that you're 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 super bullish on? Uh, anything in the IoT security space? Any? Uh, uh, what do you, you know, what gets you excited to wake up in the morning to chase after? <laughs> um, Other than that race car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's a great question. Um, and um, this also is a question that's asked of us often, right? Because we're security focused. Um, it's tough. We mentioned earlier that lo- the learning curve in security is very tough. And so sometimes people need help prioritizing. And we spend a lot of time collecting data to better help ourselves prioritize. So we try to generate the insights. Um, and so with that context in mind, um, you know, and I also recognize that a lot of other venture capitalists are probably listening to this. I'll still, I'll still be, I'll still be very open. I, but I'll, I'll be broader than I probably would normally get if we were having a beer or something. Like that. That's fine because I, I asked this question because I find like I'm, I lived the last twenty plus years in New York, so I find that there's a whole two different worlds uh, between what happens in the valley and how the valley view things uh, versus the rest of the country, and specifically on the East Coast, where. Uh, when this discussion comes up about, oh, this is a hot new sector, you get guys rolling their eyes and saying, yeah, that's the San Francisco guys dude, in their bubble or in their uh, little world. So I'm curious about like your areas of thinking and how it matches up, not necessarily to mine, but uh, in my social circles or my network, how, how people view these things. It's it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing that I've been very, very passionate about, um, and, I, and let's... Uh, 
let me say it first and then <laughs> let me add some context to it. But it's the, the, the use of identity as a, as a theme. Um, so I'm not specifically re- referring to just I am type companies or authorization or the, or the multi-factor. Um, you know, when, when I start thinking about data as a whole, um, you know, there's so many people who say, hey, I don't know where all my data is. I have zero visibility into that data. Um, and I want to know, who, you know, where it is, what's in there. Um, but then they always say what's in there. And I ask them, okay, so what, what do you mean by what's in there? And they say, uh, you know, I just want to know if there's PI in there. And I was like, okay, so PII, that's sort of a tie to identity, right? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, okay, so once you get visibility into all your data, do you just put together dashboards and, you know, to say, oh, I have data in this country and this country and it's moving from this country to that country? Like, what value are you getting? Are you actually getting deep con- insight into what data you have? Um, and so my, my, my thesis there, and this was very much, um, very much stolen from Beyond Corp, Google's Beyond Corp idea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, um, is to start tying that data together in terms of identity. Uh, granted, it's not going to touch all the data that you do have within your, uh, within your data stores, but I do think that's the highest priority, right? I mean, if you're in security, you know, you have a t- your priorities are probably number one is you don't want to let the company down. You don't want to stop a production system from generating revenue. Uh, number two is probably compliance type stuff, right? You just need to do the bare, bare fundamentals to make sure that you're doing everything that you have to do according to what the <laughs> right. regulators tell you to do. And then, and then lastly, you probably want to do the fun stuff, right? The, the stuff that can really move the needle a little bit. Um, and, but, you know, to the first point, right? You don't want to, you don't want to shut the company down. A piece of that is the brand component. And right now, most people are getting sued because of PII data breach, data right, breaches. Right. And so and if GDPR you focus is on coming, and GDPR is coming, exactly right, exactly. So anyway, this is the concept of using identity as an abstraction layer. Yeah, I'm pretty passionate about that. Um, and so we're seeing that with Beyond Corp. Uh, then Istio sort of is along those lines as well, right? It's sort of the, the network mesh using identity to hold to hold the things together. Um, and then another way of thinking about identity is applying historical successful use cases within enterprise identity and leveraging that for the middle market, leveraging that for customers. Um, you know, I, I just think that for me, identity, I never understood the concept of identity until I started focusing explicitly on security. And I think it's a very powerful way of thinking about things. And it's no surprise that identity is also the, when you look at the, when you break out uh, security budgets, identity is usually the, the top most. Yeah, the big number. The big number. Uh, just to get back a little bit into the inside baseball VC thing is, uh, are you noticing deal sizes, uh, let's say over the last three Let's go back four years. Uh, getting uh, are they trending bigger? Are they uh, uh, surprisingly bigger? Are they in line with where, where where you guys were projecting things would be today? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, so in in the data that we've seen, the valuation and the funding um, in security. Um, Actually, let me take out funding. Let's talk about valuation first. The valuation part is pretty closely tracks the public market. It might have a quarter or two delay in terms of valuation, right. uh, in terms of new investments. The, the, the part where it doesn't track <laughs> is when, uh, you're doing follow on rounds that, uh, on a company that might not 
be as successful as we hoped it would, then that's when there's more a little bit more funkiness. But overall, in, when you look at new deals by new investors into new companies, um, that pretty closely tracks the public market. In terms of the amount going into the space, um, I think there's, pro- you know, when you think about a market and this isn't something you learn in school. And so this is something I'm just making up, but I believe it to be true. There's fundamentals and then there's um, momentum. Um, and right now, I believe that there's a, a, a momentum definitely has an impact on the market. And so there's probably a little bit more money, um, excess money in the space. And when you look at the data, 2017 was a record number in terms of first time security investors in the space, meaning they've never done a security deal before. Uh, I think that the number was 400 mm-hmm. first-time security investors, and um, and so there, there, that concept of, of momentum is very strong here, and you want momentum <laughs> when it's in a company, right? Because you want the momentum to keep on growing, growing, growing. Right now, there's a lot of momentum in the entire market, um, and sp- with that context in mind, there's a little bit of there's probably a little bit too much money. There's probably a little too many companies. And so for us, the, the key is to uh, stay the course, right? We told we our initial thesis when we started the firm was we would do these types of deals with these types of teams and these types of founders and these types of theses. And so, you know, I'm thinking back saying, OK, well, when we do our next fund, do we want to do deals like Phantom Cyber in the future mm-hmm. um, or do we want to stay the course of, of what we decide that we do in the very beginning? And right now, I feel very good about staying the course um, in terms of the type of companies we want to do. But. Uh, need to be open to to make it, to change our minds if the data comes at you. Uh, last question, because I know we're running out of time. We're at what forty minutes already, um, <laughs> and this is a well, fun is discussion. Fun. We might this have to do really it again. Fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we Let's might have to do, do it that. again. Um, when you've invested in a company and you want them to be disciplined and focused, and obviously you're heavily invested in their success. Uh, we're 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 in a cybersecurity talent shortage uh, that is staggering. Uh, we have a lot of um, uh, a lot of big companies with significant budgets chasing after the same set of people um, that that don't exist, or we're not doing a better job of finding talent um, in cybersecurity space. How involved is the VC at figuring out uh, staffing uh, for your early stage companies, and how do we quote unquote fix this this uh, uh, significant problem in the industry where yeah, there are significant openings, uh, not enough people to fill it, and when the talented people bubble up to the surface, it they get snapped up by the Googles or the Facebooks or the guys who are, uh, you know, resource heavy, and there are very very slim pickings for startups. Is that a significant worry, or am I overstating it? Yeah, no, it's um, you know, let, let me address the questions in the easy one versus the harder one. Uh, so the easier one was how involved are we in terms of um the organization organizational structure of our startups of our companies i would say that we provide best practices right so we try to do the top down view and say okay generally a series a company has this this and that but the reality at the end of the day is the entrepreneur knows what they need and they know the problems that they have to solve and the capacities they need to build so they, they're the ones driving it we just we just make the suggestions and and if we're really good, we also help suggest the hires as well. So right, can, because like um, you, like you mentioned earlier, this this the network effect is where where you exactly. also bring significant value. So they're reaching exactly. out and saying uh, they're looking for suggestions and guidance and ideas around staffing as well, right? Exactly, and and you know one beautiful thing in life is that you meet with a ton of people and there's you never have an agenda, right? But then you start realizing these 
beautiful connections that you can make between people where it's a win-win and it's not there's no selfishness within it and that and that's what we're looking for there's such a big element of timing in the world right so someone might be loose in the socket that's usually the best time to hire them right because they're a quality person and you want you want to find that person before they go on the market and they're just interviewing everywhere um so that's that's just one component of that hiring piece uh, I, I do want to make sure to address your your, top, yeah, your the point on the, the, bigger the, bigger, <laughs> the tougher one. Very, very tough one. Uh, you know, my my belief, and the, the, this is my bias, right, because, of course, I'm investing in this space. Um, uh, my belief is that technology and automation is the answer to problems such as these in terms of the shortage of talent. Mm-hmm. I also believe that everyone is always going to tell you that there's a shortage of talent. Uh, because they always want more budget, they always want more people to help. Um, because who doesn't want more help, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but are you making the argument that it doesn't exist? No, no, no. That charge it doesn't I, exist. I was, okay. I was going because <laughs> it's real. Because <laughs> it is real. It is real. Exactly right. Uh, I people may be that. taking advantage of it, but <laughs> yes, they might take advantage of it. But yes, it is definitely real. Um, and you can see that in salaries, right? I mean, that's that's the easiest way to validate that there, it is real. Is the you know how much um you know a senior security engineer might get paid right correct it's, and it's, that's why that that's why i tied it back to resource intensive companies uh, companies with significant resources snapping up the few that are there because they have the resources to throw after these folks and salaries are out of whack as well exactly you're, you're exactly right yeah i mean in terms of the talent problem i do think that um and I, I don't want to relate too much to sociology but um, there are certain themes that have changed, right? Um, in, in culture, um, you know, historically security wasn't that sexy. Not very many people cared about it. But now there's so much visibility in security. You see students starting undergraduate where they say, Hey, I want to be focused on security for my career. And so I think this, you know, to the point on efficiency as well, this will naturally solve itself long, long, long term. They'll become an efficient market again. But right now, I think everyone was a little surprised by how important security was. And, um, is and it fixable? I mean, I, I've, I've had discussions with people in academia that's saying that academia isn't doing enough to prepare uh, cybersecurity talent. We're still doing CS courses with like a little cybersecurity component to it. There are a few universities uh, focused narrowly on, 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 on the security sector. Uh, but in a general sense, it's really not being fixed. And I think we're heading to a place where uh, it's becoming a crisis. You know, the, 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 or am the I just too thing. much of a pessimist? You can correct me if you... Yeah, yeah, no, my high-level point is I do think it will be corrected over time. The question is how long and how much pain do we have to endure before it, does, if, before it is corrected? And so I, I can't time it in terms of, oh, it's going to be corrected next year, most, most likely not. Or versus a decade from now, which is you know completely not acceptable. Um, but I do think high level it will be. But one thing that I do think is funny about this piece is you know the attackers are growing as well, right? And those guys inherently are basically are security people, right? They're 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 doing it from the offensive side, and so that group is growing. Um, and so maybe the issue here is that group is growing faster than the group of defenders is growing. Uh, and maybe one way of thinking about it is how do we capture those people whom are uh, on the offense and convert them to defense? Maybe that's what just something something just made up. <laughs> we can talk that's about fine. that. 
longer. Uh, no, it's but, a real discussion to have, and it's 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 not happening at the level it should be happening. I I would argue, and the same thing, the same goes for diversity in the workplace and 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 attracting new types of people into security, and uh, you know whether it's gender, race, uh, uh, cultural. Uh, we're we're not doing enough of. It's starting to bubble up now, but we're not doing enough of a uh, a job as an industry. Uh, of of addressing it, even if it's even if it's in early stage discussion stage, how do we how do we uh, expand the talent pool and make sure the talent pool is properly qualified? How do we make sure we're you know uh, dealing with diversity in the workplace and bringing in uh, bringing in another mindset that we're not necessarily bringing in in the past? It, there's 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 so many layers to it that's not being addressed, at least in my mind. But again, I, I I'm the, I'm the a bit is... of a Well, I think the key is doing exactly what you're doing right now, right? The key is educating so people understand the problem and so that they can, they, people who share your vision and understand your vision will say, okay, I believe in that vision and I want to solve that problem as well. And so I'm going to, I'm going to focus my career on security. And, you know, it's like very many things, you know, this is more, it's almost a sociology type question or, uh, like very many things here, you, you have to build that thought leadership. And I think that that thought leadership has been growing over time, um, and we have to continue making sure that people are aware that you know there is a shortage of talent and security, and because of that, we need you know there's opportunity as well, right? Opportunity for these educate for these schools to educate more students in cybersecurity. Opportunity to uh, for students to know that security is a viable career for them, and that they can if they have certain types certain defending aspects of their personality where they like helping others this might be a great career for them um and so i, I think a, a big piece of it is awareness um and then the, the other big piece is continuously training them right so it's one thing to train them within a college it's another thing to train them within an organization as well um and if you can build a, a good process to train people within your organization make them better and better um you know that will that will help you can as a company can individually help solve that problem as well right and i would argue that a lot of companies aren't doing yeah, uh, uh, enough of a good job of looking for talent in non-traditional places uh, uh, real strong talent in an area that is not necessarily security related but but translates very easily or they have a smooth transition into the security sector and, and, and i th- i think there's an argument to be made that recruiters and and companies aren't thinking along those lines they're just narrowly focused on this is the profile of what a, uh the the person i want for this position and not necessarily finding uh someone from outside of security that might be able to make a very easy transition but th- that's a boring topic Uh, you know, one, and I, I know, I know we're way over on time by now, but <laughs> yeah, one, but I, I got, I, I still got another question for you. Right. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we, we will, we, we will connect either again. online or offline <laughs> again. I just one, just high, high level um, veterans. I think it's a, a really untapped space. Um, they have a lot of transferable skills here, uh, defending the nation, mm-hmm. or um, and then so that is a place where one of my partners, Don Dixon, he's spending a lot of time. Um, in terms of enabling veterans to succeed within security, um, so. All right, I'm gonna get you out of here. I just got, I, I got, I got a last question. If you can close off by uh, maybe, maybe even uh, uh, giving me the sales pitch. What should a, an entrepreneur, uh, a startup founder, be focused on when he's trying to uh, determine, you know, which VC to go with? If he's got a good idea, he's got a track record, he's already 
having discussions with people and he's he, the ball is in his court to make the choice about what to do what should an entrepreneur uh, you know look for in a, a good vc that will support his company that will you know uh, that is 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 and i know it's it's probably cliche but that is heavily invested in their success right give me give me the sales pitch <laughs> no, and, and, and forget, let's not yep. call it a sales pitch but let's call it like call a, a little bit of an education talk for entrepreneurs trying to trying to figure this out especially for new guys who maybe never done it before but they're struggling with this decision right um let, let me say high level i wish that we were pro- the right partner for every single company um and for all the amazing companies as well i think the reality is is that we everyone has a specific differentiation and everyone has a spe- is a great fit for certain types of situations so that's very very generic so let me let me go deeper uh the other high level point i want to bring up is um you know when you get investment from a venture capitalist you're very much getting married to that venture capitalist and so who's on your board is very important um whether you can work with them well with them whether you think they can add value and then the last high high um high level point I want to bring up is um you know do you want help or do you just want money right. and if you just want money then maybe you want a board member that just comes to board meetings and doesn't do very much else right uh but if you want help you know just be 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 real with what you actually want uh from the investor and then there'll definitely be the right investor for you and that will naturally come when you meet all these investors that investor that's right for you will will tell you I'm the right investor for you that's why I'm giving you a term sheet um so that's high level on, on the on the security side you know if you are within Trident's uh benchmark which is broadly series A series B companies we also do growth equity companies meaning these are founders that bootstrapped their companies for years uh saw a lot of traction but uh, wanted to wanted to were more wanted to build more co- company success before fundraising um you know what you're looking for in those situations primarily um and we try to position ourselves in this way uh is you're looking for people to help you build a company um and building it can be hiring it can be relationships it can be ability to brainstorm with someone who actually has understands the space right you want to you know entrepreneurship is a very lonely game um you generally don't have very many people to bounce your thoughts off of uh, unless you go outside of your company especially if you're the CEO. And so you want someone on your board, you want friends, you want advisors so you can you can have real conversations with them and they can help you crystallize your own thoughts as well as give you additional ideas to consider. Um so high level that's what I would say you should be looking for as an entrepreneur. And then lastly, you know, why uh, and I'll I'll make this one extra quick because you know, why would you want to go with a security focused fund is because you know, that's all we focus on, right? And so generally that means that we can help generate more opportunities or we aim to help generate more opportunities and that we aim to have more context. We aim to be able to um, over-deliver in terms of those things that you do need from your investor. Thank you very much, William. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again one day. This was really fun, Ryan. I appreciate your time. 